everyone. Welcome to the Urban Robot Cat Podcast. I'm Travis Likens. I'm Chris RWK. And I'm Corey from Strange Cat Toys. And we're here for our third episode, Count It Three. This is working out so far, so I think we're just going to keep going, uh, keep on going with it. So how have you guys been hanging out since, uh, it's been a couple of weeks since we've talked. Uh, you out there in the digital world won't know that, but uh, how's everyone been doing these past couple of weeks? Doing pretty good. Just getting ready for some things coming up, some events and projects and commissions. That's about it. I've just been uh, shipping out crazy cute blind box orders all week long from Pop Mart. So that doesn't seem to be slowing down at all. Business is good. It's a good thing. Yeah, yeah everybody likes cute. It's funny you say that. As I was, when I was younger, that's what everybody would describe my work as. And I, I'd just be like, that's really just rude. And then like, <laughs> like, no, but it's cute. Cute is good. I go, cute is good if it's like, you know, a puppy. You don't want your artwork described as cute. Maybe maybe that's what we should be working on. Like, come up with cute ways to make our stuff into uh, toys and whatnot. And then Corey can sell them all and ship them out. Yeah. Well, the, those robot eyes are so endearing. I know they're lines, but, you know, they just, <laughs> they just suck you in. Right? It's all in the eyes. I've been doing a lot of traveling. My wife and I, we went out to Bend, Oregon to visit tattoo artist Chase Tafoya. And he did a wonderful piece for my wife's upper part of her sleeve that she's getting done. I had a great time out there hanging out. You know, it's always good to chop it up with someone you've been talking to on the internet for like 10 years and uh, finally get to uh, meet him in person. Yeah, I saw pictures. They looked amazing, man. Yeah, he does amazing work. Um, you should really check him out if you're thinking about getting a tattoo. It's uh, Chase Tafoya on Instagram. He used to do a lot of t-shirt designs back in the day. That's how I kind of like discovered him. He's just always been a really cool guy. It was nice to finally meet him in person. I actually have an original piece of artwork from him as well that hangs on my wall. Um, he, he does some absolutely amazing portraits and like realism type work. If you're into that kind of stuff, you can also follow him to uh, check out his original artwork as well. But... We are not here just to discuss what we've been up to for the past couple of weeks. We have a guest. We have somebody here that is described as a American dream. Someone that came to America has made his way on his own. And his name is Junkyard. And he is a artist that resides in Los Angeles and does a lot of amazing murals, paintings, a lot of products as well. And if you want to go ahead, Junkyard, and say hello to the fans out there, uh, we'll get this podcast going. Yeah, thank you for the amazing introduction. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, hi everyone. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. Junkyard, I guess let's start out with your story. You you came from South Africa, correct? Yes. And then how did we get you to where you live in LA? And like your artwork and how it got you there, I guess, is a good way to start. Uh, well, I came here to work at uh, Disney World as an internship program where they get people from different countries to work in different areas in Disney and I worked in Africa because I'm from South Africa. I had to say Jumbo every time someone walked into the restaurant, which is not a language I speak. From from Disney, I ended up moving out to Chicago. Just had some visa problems, difficult to work. Ended up working Guitar Center, Sam Ash. The art was kind of always going in the background. I actually I actually came over here after finishing studying graphic design. So I, w- I was always just working on art. You know, it's just something I've always done. And then in Chicago, I really just kind of put some more effort into it just to get into galleries. And I got lucky the first time I reached out to someone that liked my work and they actually made a whole entire display inside of their gallery just for me so that gave me a lot of exposure in the Chicago scene which kind of just blew me up a little bit more there and then after years of being in all the same galleries in Chicago just kind of felt a little bit played out over there so I decided to move to LA and now I've been here for a little bit over a year and so your work for people that don't know is it's pretty recognizable once you know it's your work but the you usually work in strictly black and white is is there a reason that you strictly work in black and white or is that just a choice and aesthetic that you 
you have chosen to go with? Um, it first started off when I started my Instagram page. And I was doing only linoleum prints. I was just doing it at home, and I was just printing with black and white ink. And so just once, one day I posted a picture. I was posting in color before, and I was post, I posted in black and white. And I just made it sense because those were the only colors I was printing with. And that picture got way more engagement than any of the other pictures. So I just started posting in black and white. The style that I was already doing was kind of uh, inspired by 1920s cartoons, Anyway, so, you know, I just figured just kind of go with the black and white uh, aesthetic seemed to work for me. So I just kept it going. You were doing only linoleum cut at that time or was that something you've always kind of worked with? Um, So I started an Instagram page and I uploaded some of my art and I had 12 followers and then no one liked my art. And so I just gave up on that. The people have spoken. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, this isn't working for me. I'm just going to give this up. And then a few, maybe a year later or so, I was like, okay, I'm going to start doing linoleum, linoleum prints just for fun, but I want to track my progress. So that's that's the reason why I started posting again on Instagram, was just to track my progress on it. For some reason, that, that just, you know, people just came out of nowhere and started following me just because of that. And then I would add a drawing in between the linoleum prints, and the drawings just became more and more, and the, the prints became less and less until it was just all drawings, basically. So what kind of artwork were you doing prior to the linoleum cuts then? The ones that people didn't like, supposedly. <laughs> oh, it was it was basically the same stuff I'm doing now. <laughs> oh, okay. It just uh, I, I just don't think I was doing it right, like the way I was posting it and hashtags and things like that. It's clearly working now because I noticed that you're you just broke a hundred thousand on Instagram <laughs> followers wise. So it's clearly working now. Yeah, it's uh, and it was uh, it was it also started I started I was losing so many followers uh, a while ago when I had a business account and I just couldn't figure out what was going on. So I just took it off and then put my account to private and now it's back to normal again. So I've been thinking about doing the same thing on my well, mine is a business but you know my business account because I've been noticing the same kind of activity like engagements went way down you know it's just it Instagram's doing something I don't know what it is but they're doing something <laughs> yeah just be just be careful with the uh, yeah with the private accounts because usually those only work with accounts that already have quite a bit of follow like you have to be have like a large following yeah and also you got to make the profile picture you know enticing and you have to have something in the bio that's I have dark art dealer you know so it's it's kind of like looks a little sketchy, so people want to see what's going on there. <laughs> got to be ominous. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's what I, that's what I've got to do. <laughs> you got to have a little hook. Um, you've done a lot of work down in down in Miami as a part of Art Basel. What what's it? What was it like when you got your first show down there? Like, did you feel like you know, kind of like was this like a big achievement for, for some of you been trying to get, or was this like, oh, who cares? <laughs> like, no, no, it was a, it was. I felt good about it. So we actually threw a gallery that was our gallery in Miami. Uh, so I worked with my manager, Bo, to put all of that together with a collective of artists. Some people did jewelry, some people, you know, fine artists. And then I had a section that was all my art. For me, it was huge to be in Miami because I've always wanted to go and I've always heard all my friends going. And I also got to do 40-foot mural, which is the biggest one I've ever wow. done. So it was it was really nice to actually be there and live that. So Yeah, and I've seen some photos from that event. It looked like a really cool, like, setup and everything, the way they presented the art and you know, kind of had like the space for, for folks to show off what they were doing. The mural down there though, being that large, working on that has to be, was it kind of like a little daunting though? Like kind of a little scary? Like what am I going to do with a giant wall? <laughs> like, yeah, I, uh, I did a I did a sketch of what I was going to do maybe like five minutes before I started the mural. Um, 
<laughs> and then you're like, I got to put this up on the wall now. Yeah. And then I just freestyled. But I had a, I had a couple of friends helping me because my finger is not used to using spray cans for, for that long. Yeah, I was going to say, I didn't know if you were working in spray on that or if you were doing like using brushes or something. Yeah, I was all spray cans. It was just easier and quicker. My finger did give in at the end where I, even if I pressed down on the on the cap, like spray paint wouldn't come out. Because I didn't have any, there was no more give in my finger. <laughs> yeah, it was gone. Yeah, so I'd use the middle finger, I'd use the thumb, I would have my friends do all the fills and some of the cutting, and then I would just, you know, just keep going with whatever I wanted to keep going with until we finished it. I think we did it in one day. It was about nine or ten hours, so relatively quickly. Probably like 95 degree heat. Yeah, it was, when we started, it was actually relatively cold. All of a sudden, the sun just came around the corner and just, it was terrible. You're like a you're like an ant under a magnifying glass at that point. Yeah, there was there was no shade at all. You, there was just no, and even the shade was hot. So I'm thinking relatively cold. I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, how cold could it have been? Jeez. Yeah, no, it was not. It was like it was like 65. Uh, that, that's like perfect for me. <laughs> yeah, that is perfect in the morning. But I mean, that lasted for maybe two hours, and then it was yeah, like 80 was degrees, 65 to yeah, 90 degrees. Yeah, 90. Like, that's kind of the thing when I go to, like, California or Florida, like, when the sun goes away, like, it cools down, but then, like, as soon as the sun comes out, you're, like, hot. So, like, you got to pack, like, layers, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, it's like this every morning. It's it's really, like, right now, if I if I go outside, I'll probably, I can wear a, a hoodie or something. Um, but in the, in the daytime, it's, it's hot. It's just hot, hot. So wait, so since you moved from Chicago, you've become the guy that, like, goes out when it's, like, 60 with a hoodie on? <laughs> actually actually you, you you'll be surprised how quickly you adapt to it i i'm cold when it's uh, 60 degrees out now <laughs> I, w- I was cold when it, in the first like month that i was here i was getting cold when it's 60 degrees out i don't say uh, i usually go for the coat until it's like 35 yeah right <laughs> i haven't worn a coat since i've been here though yeah that's true you, you, it's like you, you wear like a light Overcover out in California, I guess. Yeah, like a flannel or something. You don't, it's or a crew neck or something or a hoodie. That's it. What brought you out to California from Chicago? Yeah, I don't know. Chicago is, is awesome and people are amazing, but at some point, it's just kind of a small town, three galleries basically that I was in constantly really an art world. It's very contained within Chicago. Come to LA and it's a hundred times bigger. Galleries are just everywhere. You work with some of the best artists in the world that are all living here. It's all about pop-up gallery shows here, uh, which is nice. You get to work with so many collectives. It's just, it's insane how, how much bigger it is. And Chicago is a huge city. But compared to uh, the art scene in L.A., it feels like it's a small town. So Yeah, and you're coming from kind of like that Midwest, that feeling. It's There's cool stuff going on here, but there's le- the opportunity isn't as great, right? Like there's just more chances to work when you're in a bigger city like that. Right, and also in L.A., people come to L.A. to make things happen. Yeah. They, they, mo- they move from their town because they have got to the point where they can't go any further, and then they come to L.A. So everyone here is is, is 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 the best of basically what the town has to offer or city, wherever they're from. And they're here to work their asses off and they're not going to just settle for anything. So uh, that's nice to work with people that are just ready to go and just ready to work their asses off, making trying to make something really big happen. And also people out here are ready to spend money to buy art. I mean, the, the, it's, there's money in L.A. It's, it's unreal. You can just drive through... Beverly Hills or, you know, any of, even where I live, you know, it's, it's in by West Hollywood, just, 
you just see money everywhere. So it's 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 good for if you're trying to make a living off of art. So how old were you when you left South Africa? Um, I was 20. I turned 22 when I got here. So you did the um, what's it? The internship at Disney. What's it called? The college program? Is that what you did? Or um, it's it's sort of a it's more of an exchange program. Where they, oh, okay. Yeah, just they do. They do have a college program, but the exchange program is just they take people from the different countries. And if you're from, say, France or something, they have you work in Epcot at Paris or something. You know, it's so it's like authentic with the people working within the park. We learn all kinds of stuff on this podcast. You know, I, I didn't know that that was a thing, and now I do. Now, granted, though, I I haven't been to Disney except for Disney Tokyo, so. And I couldn't really understand what was going on there. Yeah, so if you if you go to all those places, you, if you take note, you'll see that those people are actually from the country that they have in Disney. They're actually from that country. A lot of the people. Now I know to look for something when I finally make it make it down there. Yeah. <laughs> so what do they do? They supply you with like room and board, and they pay you, or how does that whole thing work? Yeah, you you share a room with like three people, or share a house with six people there's two people to a bedroom and you have to pay rent and things like that doesn't sound like the worst thing no it's not it's not the worst it's also definitely not the best i can tell you that i'm not on the on the greatest terms with them because i did end up quitting i'm not actually sure i'm actually even allowed to go back to the park but yeah i kind of just walked in there and was like hey i'm out this job sucks in your artwork, though, you, you do pull from a lot of you know classic cartoons. Did working at Disney kind of like help inspire some of that, or were you just always into like classic cartoon styling? Your hate for Disney does that come from like their corporate greed, or like what did you what makes you hate them so much? Um, I'd rather not. <laughs> I'd rather not say too much in case they try to track me down. Okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you can only imagine <laughs> what it's like working. It's kind of terrible. But it's, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a great place to go visit. See, I don't know. See, I have friends who work there, and they have no problem with it at all. I have friends who worked in, in the art field in there and at the park. They actually have decent experiences with it. Yeah, I, w- I worked at a restaurant, so. <laughs> but, I mean, there's also lots of people who I knew that worked there that loved the job. Your artwork, like Travis said, it, it, it gets into, like, the old-school cartoonish, but it's very, like, evil-looking. So, yeah, I could see how Disney wouldn't be, like, kind of in your in your wheelhouse. What makes you more onto, like, the darker side? Yeah, exactly. And my characters, they're, they're evil, but mostly they're all just um, anxiety-ridden. So if you look <laughs> at their faces, uh, it's not really – they're not really smiling. They're just uh, dying inside. I think, too, that's kind of what makes your work so intriguing – because you, you kind of, you know, classic cartoons, you kind of think of like everybody's kind of like happy or whatever, you know, when you look at them. But yours are like they have that feel, but then there's more to it. Right. So you're like, oh, well, why is this why is this character stressed out or why is this character, you know, suffering from some sort of anxiety or just kind of like it pulls you in more because it's like familiar, but it's not. Yeah, exactly. I just I, I like the way that 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 they all look they all weird as it is. So when you just make them look even just a little bit weirder by just adding a little bit of a crazed look in the face, pushes it over the edge for people when they see it because they recognize it. I've had lots of people who just look at my work and they go, I've seen that before. And I'm pretty sure they haven't seen it before. They recognize the eyes, the shape of the eyes or like, you know, some of the details that I use from the 1920s cartoons that they recognize. Do you ever get any licensed people or any of those people saying like, you're using our stuff, stop using it? No, I've never had anyone hit me up before. I haven't got a cease and desist or anything like that. I've had only when I worked with a brand before, they told me I couldn't use certain things with a bigger brand. Yeah, they broke down the entire 
design that I did and told me with references why I couldn't use these things. And I was like, no, I get it. You can just tell me. They brought in the lawyers. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. It, was def- it definitely went to a department um, that specializes in that. Yep. They were like, dude, we, we are going to get sued. Yeah, basically. And I had to redo almost the entire thing. But I still got away with it. And it still looked really cool. So I, I was happy, you know. Have you ever done any tattoo flash sheet work or anything like that? Because I feel like your art just kind of like screams tattoos. Yeah, it's, I, I have someone, at least one or two people hit me up every single day about tattooing. Damn. Um, <laughs> I, have done, I have done flash sheets before. But just in general, people are always getting my stuff tattooed. How do you feel about that? Like, are you cool with it? Do you think they should ask permission or? Um, I mean, I would, I I like it when people ask for permission, but also if they want to put my art on their body forever, you know, that's free lifetime advertising for me. So I don't really care. I mean, if I, if I was, if I was tattooing, it would be a different story. That's, you know, I'm not tattooing. I want to at some point, but as of now I'm not. So I usually just tell people, if you can go to my website and buy something that's cool with me, you can go ahead and get a tattoo. And people do so. Your artwork, because of like the the black and whiteness, does make great for tattoos. So I can see why people would want to do that. Yeah, it's super easy to just look at it and, and be and say to yourself, "I want a tattoo like that." It's just it just looks like a tattoo as it is. So when you said you studied graphic design, was it more of computer based graphic design or more traditional? Um, it was more traditional. I mean, that was a while ago. I, I first wanted to do fine art, and then I did fine art for six months and ended up hating it because I have a very short attention span and then I did graphic design and ended up hating that too but that one was quicker than fine art so projects were a little bit better and I had to study something but I I still hate graphic design and anytime anyone ever asks me anything the first thing I tell them is I'm not a graphic designer so so out of all the places you've lived so far what is uh what do you feel is the the most art creative out of them oh definitely Los Angeles just since I've been here, I've met people that have actually completely blown my mind. Um, just the random, you know, when, when they have gallery shows, pop-ups. Um, you know, I have one friend who works uh, with, with balloons. He goes by Balloonski. Uh, uh, and yeah. and that's, just, that's just an example of just people just doing crazy stuff that's just so unique and, you know... It just blows my mind just seeing what these people are doing, and, and it's it's constant. These guys are constantly just creating, constantly coming up with cool stuff. Yeah, I saw some, I guess it was during one of the powwows out there, where he was doing a bunch of street artist characters with the balloons. Like, that that was so cool and, like, so mm-hmm. out of left field. Like, I never would have thought of doing that. Yeah, and you, you think of, like, people who do balloons, like, kind of like a clown, you know, you know, doing those little dogs and things like that. He does all kinds of stuff. I mean, he does, like, dragon heads that you can wear, sneakers, faces of characters, you know, everything. He does huge installations. I mean, he did installation folk at Coachella. I've been to several pop-ups where he did, like, these huge chains that run across the building. It's just the insanity of, like, how people just really push themselves over here to just be bigger and better than everyone else. Are you a, are you a collector of anything? Like, is there any particular artist that you collect, prints, toys? Like, what, uh, um, what's your thing? I, I don't have a specific artist. There's a few artists that I really like that I always, like, for instance, this wall behind me that I'm sitting, I have 
a bunch of old 1920s cartoons, but they're mixed in with, I don't know if you know, Travis Lampy. Yeah. Yeah, so Travis Lampy, I love his work. I have some of his toys. I have his art everywhere on this wall. Then the French artist, Macbeth. Yep. He's he's a he's a good one too. So it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's more random artists. Like when you go to my house, I just have all art from people that I, that I just like. So if I see something, uh, I'll get it. You know what I mean? Like it's, there's, there isn't like one artist specifically that I just follow around and like that's like the, the guy, you know, so. At this point, I, I kind of like collect my friends, I guess you would say. Mm-hmm. I just buy pieces from people that I, you know, work with or, you know, become friends with over the years or, and then occasionally it's just like, I just like whatever that is. So I'll go to like a store in Dayton. I don't even know who the artist is, but that's a cool thing and I'll buy that, you know. For sure. And I have a lot of stickers too. I mean, I have sticker. I have so many stickers that, I mean, I'm sure Chris, you have probably a million times more than me, but <laughs> <laughs> I have a pretty big box of stickers of just like old friends, old artists that I've met just everywhere in the country. So yeah, I, I love uh, collecting stickers is a good way to get just pretty much a little bit of everyone. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an easy kind of trade. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've kind of always felt like that at Chris's place, there's probably that giant warehouse from Indiana Jones. And Chris is like trying to put stickers in like a little, like a crate, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just gets shuffled around. He just, he swims in it like Rouge yeah. McDuck. <laughs> <laughs> Over the years, I always try to like keep at least one from each, you know, like friend or artist or whatever. And then the rest, you know, pass along to other, you know, people in trade and everything like that. But then somehow, like, I'll randomly find a box with like a ton of other stickers. And I'm like, where the hell did this come? I'm like, I really don't remember this box at all. This is back from the early 90s. Exactly. <laughs> you say that junkyard, but I was about to say in our last episode when we talked to MCA and Chris was like, oh, yeah, remember when I found those Pee Wee Herman stickers you did back in the 90s? And then we we Googled it and it was like 1991. <laughs> like, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. St- stickers have been an addiction, I guess, for since I was a little tiny kid. So yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, why not? <laughs> like yeah. so everybody, everybody's got their thing, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, the first the first stickers that I collected was the Garbage Pail Kids. So those are great. Yeah, those are amazing. And it's cre- it's great to see um, I forget his name doing them again. And uh, there's like new series has come out and everything. It's crazy. The original artist guy that did them, whatever his name is. I can't remember at the moment. We're horrible at being podcasters. We should know these things. That kind of like mismatch of taking like a pop culture thing and, you know, kind of doing a twist on it is kind of something that I think that a lot of people that collect a Garbage Pail Kids, like now it's become kind of like crept its way into artwork. I feel like at this point where it's like we're doing really cool mashups with like a pop culture thing and like some sort of other random idea that goes along with it that they kind of incorporate. And I feel like Garbage Pail Kids was kind of like the first introduction for a lot of people that grew up in that time period, you know, like the 80s and whatnot. Yeah, I just I just recently uh, released three prints that I did for a gallery in Chicago that uh, I did a series of junkyard kids pretty much the same format except it's all black and white with you know my art on it and like I feel like that was kind of like the 80s kids and then the people before that was the wacky packs right they'd take the pop culture can of beans or whatever and they'd make like a funny thing you know like sticker spoof on the name there you go spoof that's the word I'm looking for and it's it's kind of crazy because at the time that was considered like niche or kind of like a, an oddity and now it's common commonplace right you see it on t-shirts all the time you know like where people have taken some two pop culture items and mixed matched them together or made like a spoof on some logo you know oh and in toys like crazy it seems like from what it seems like licensing is kind of not being that important anymore for that kind of stuff like the stuff still sells well and you don't really hear about anybody getting a cease and desist anymore really i i think it's because one it's 
They've kind of figured out that it kind of helps promote the character. And two, um, unless you're like making a bootleg version of the thing they're already trying to sell, in, unless you're doing like quantities of like 100,000, I, I just don't think it's worth their time maybe. I, I don't know. Yeah, if you're, if you're making replicas or something like that. They say I, I, have, I have friends who do pins and stuff like that and patches and they get cease and desist all the time. Really? Yeah, especially a lot of times it depends on what kind of the characters are. But like, for example, like Fox... Anything Simpsons related, they yeah, go after. Simpsons, go Sim- after Simpsons are brutal about that. Yeah. I, I I heard about that too. Rick and Morty, uh, Bob's Burgers, like any of those like things that are like popular right now. I've had friends they basically get like cease and desist, and they have to like kind of like only sell them in person at like shows and stuff like that. They can't have them online. They can't use certain hashtags, BXC buttons. They did a, a spoof on um, Patagonia, where it's, it's it's a Pangea. It says Pangea in the Patagonia font. And then instead of having the mountains, it's got like dinosaurs. I feel like that's a, a super popular thing to riff right now. Yeah, you got a season for that. Maybe they're like, okay, we need to get after this. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you don't really hear about it for the toys. I mean, I don't know if it's because a lot of it is more of the Asian producers that are doing it. Well, do you think do you think they're not getting the license at all? A lot of the designer toy folks, there, there are people that do get the license, but there's a lot of people that don't. Somebody like Cause is probably getting the license at this point. Somebody like Artist decides to make their own original art based on Homer Simpson's like bust or whatever. They're probably not. Well, what about like the Kit Kat? The Kill Cat? No. Yeah, but that's an exact copy of. Uh, uh, that's crazy. We didn't get a Tazika <laughs> license for Astro Crash. Not that we needed it because you don't see his face. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, you know what it is? is I think it's because I, I kind of have issues with a lot of the. It's like, for example, with Junkyard's work, he's creating these characters that are his own. And then you have a lot of people right now who literally just take things and rip them completely. Oh, and street art right now, toys, um, pins, everything. That That's a hugely popular thing, right? Because people see a mural with, you know, a giant Homer Simpson that's like all messed around with, they still recognize it and they get attracted to it. And it's like, oh, this is really popular. For me personally, it's cheating. That person has an association, has some kind of familiarity with those characters that they grew up with. And they're like, Mm -hmm. they're going to like, they're going to like it automatically because they're like, oh my God, look, it is Homer Simpson. It's blue and yellow. That's him. So that's why I appreciate Jump God's work because it is his own characters. It is his own creations even if it has that twist of the 1920s creepy you know underground cartoons but it's still his work yeah i'll i'll, I'll do use some popular characters but for the most part i, I try to keep it original art yeah like you, you're more known for your characters than you doing the other characters right and also i don't i don't i don't have like a lot of people just have a character and i i just i don't know why i try to have a character and i just never it never really stuck so now i just have like hundreds of characters you have a what i would describe as you have a style right yeah that's yeah that's what people usually say like once you see your work and realize that who you are you always think that's junkyard like as soon as you see it right sorry i didn't maybe maybe, yeah well that's that's actually a pretty strong debate so i mean that's what all you know a lot of street artists are always fighting about it's just yeah well this guy just has this character and you know and i i also feel like kind of it's a bit of a cheat but i'm not really a street artist so i don't want to get into that my my personal feel on that is i don't necessarily you know like you go to like a comic con and you see like a somebody redid a avenger in some way you know they did captain america or something i don't i don't really need to own like somebody else's version of a character it's like you know i've seen captain america that's captain america you know kind of thing and the toys are the same way like if i'm going to buy like a pop culture related toy i'm going to probably go buy an action figure right 
because that's like the best representation of that character generally. But when I buy people's artwork, I like to buy their own original designs and characters, you know? And, and as I say that, there's a there's a picture of Frankenstein hanging up on my wall, but it's done in a way, you know, has somebody's own original artwork behind it and done in like a style, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, as long as people as long as people do it in their own style, I don't have a problem with it. But like if it's just the exact same character but you add like a third eye, it's like uh, or like an extra arm or something or <laughs> you know, it's just a little too much. I do think it it does bring new people in that maybe weren't even looking for that artist's art. So I I think it's better when somebody, if they are going to do it, they kind of delve in both. Like they don't just do pop ripoffs, but they have some of their own original work too. Yeah, I, I think I would have to agree. I think it's when, if you do it as the exception, not the rule, it's fine. It's okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would say like Alex Party is a good example of that. Oh yeah, I love Alex's stuff. So here we go again. Like I'm like, oh, I don't like <laughs> yes. pop culture stuff, but I love Alex's stuff. <laughs> But Alex has a good mix of everything. Yeah, his characters are he he's got he's got his own characters that are amazing. So. Yeah, exactly. So he's like a good a good example of somebody that does both. Yeah. My Mighty Jack's toy, they, I got an email saying that they're going to be releasing it January 2020. Oh. Yeah. So almost 3 years later. Wow. Dang. Wow. Nice. I'll be, I'll be very interested to see it. It's it's a cool it's a cool design. It's just you know with the time period, I can see why it's, some people might have been frustrated. Luckily, their quality is really good, so I think it'll be worth the wait. But yeah, three years a, a bit to wait. It's based on one of your characters. What exactly? Because so I, that character, I that character, I had a character, and then they were like, "Oh no, we got to add this, and we got to add this because the market over there." So it's basically like a Mickey Mouse ripoff character. It was called Murder Mouse, correct? Murder Mouse. Yes, it's it's just like an evil 1920s Mickey slash more recent Mickey. That's just the combination of all things that. That will make people want to buy it. It's a really cool piece. I mean, yeah. I like it. I think it's going to look cool. It's like an eight-inch uh, toy too, so it's uh, like decent size. Oh wow! I didn't realize it was that large. Yeah, I I'll don't know either. I'll say I hadn't discovered you until Mighty Jacks posted this toy. Oh, nice. <laughs> but no, it's going to be cool to see it finally come out though. And at that size, it'll be a piece that'll really you know command some uh, you know space on the shelf and everything. So yeah, I'm stoked for that one. That one is actually it's 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 I did a that's based off of a painting I did. And I honestly like that design. It's, it's, I think it's going to look really cool. While we, while we have you on here, on the other toy front, you are making another toy um, called I'm Already Dead. And it's a figure based on an original character that you've created. If you wanted to talk a little bit about that and when you think it's going to be coming out, maybe fans can uh, check it out. Uh, so we're planning on releasing that on Halloween, just uh, one of the colorways. There's going to be six colorways, I believe, and then kind of lead that into designer con. So, yeah, it's just basically a, I always draw coffins. And this is uh, based off of one of my old logos, which was just a little coffin guy with a face on it. Um, and I just kind of turned him into more of a the old school cartoon with legs, arms, and the coffin's a little bit open. And there's another little creature that's crawling out of the coffin um, at the same time. So I think one of the, the cool aspects that kind of came out of the character was once we got it sculpted, we were able to kind of give it a little bit of attitude. So like he's got like that kind of squat look and kind of turned a little bit to where he has a little bit of, you know, just character kind of built into the piece. Yeah, like he's kind of coming at you a little bit, especially with that little guy crawling out of him. You're not sure what's happening with him, but either way, like not something good about to happen. So the, the little guy crawling out of the coffin is my favorite. About the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, that's a, that was when I when I actually when I drew it, I thought it looked kind of cool. But when I actually saw it in 3D, it really yeah, that that's when I really really loved it. So <laughs> so the the whole time we're working on this thing, the sculptor's coming back with this you know the guy with the little teeth and the little arms and everything coming out of there, and I'm like, the factory's gonna kill me. They're gonna be like, there's no way we can make these little teeth. And then we get the first test samples back, and the teeth are perfect. And I'm just like, well. I guess I know nothing. Wait, wait a minute. So this has to do with you? Yeah. So um, we're actually producing this toy for Junkyard. We project managed everything for him and got everything, you know, got the sculptor and everything together. So we had a prototype back at five points that we showed, but it was unpainted. But now that the paint's on it, it just really, it really looks good. Yeah, I'm going to have to see it because when I started at five points, I thought it was great. No, thanks. Definitely. Let's see. We started this project back in March, I believe, late February, early March. So... We turned this pretty quick. Yeah, that was that was really really quick. It was it was shockingly quick, really. It's usually about a year before you can get these things done. Yeah, well, I think what what happened on this one was luckily everything was kind of booking at the right pace. You know, kind of the sculptor was working well with your style and everything, so it kind of it moved a little faster. But yeah, really excited to get that out collaboration with you guys and you know see what kind of goes on with the figure. So yeah, for sure, and I definitely want to start designing the next toy. So I already got an idea for that one. You heard it here first, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm ready to go on that one. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fun making stuff and see it come to life, you know? Yeah, especially when you see your art only in 2D all the time. I mean, I vis- when I see when I draw stuff, I, I, I can visualize them in 3D, but I'm not good at doing that at all. So when you actually have someone designing it and putting it to 3D and you see it, it's... Yeah, um, that's why I'm like really dying to get my hands on these things. And I know, um, you know, talking with the sculptor that did the work on this, I know he was like super excited with it just because your style does have that like classic cartoon look because you can kind of you can have a lot of fun with that, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he got to like really you know play with the eyes and the mouth and like the depth of everything. So it, it it's going to be fun. Yeah, he did. He did good. What's uh, his name again? Pixel Buddha? Yeah, Pixel Buddha, um, his name is Oasim, or Wasim, depending on, uh, we still have not determined what the pronunciation is correctly. But. Yeah, he's he's great. He he did really good. The, even the first one I got back, I was really impressed by it. Yeah, and um, I don't know if you follow him on Instagram or anything like that, mm-hmm. but he's been doing some more of his original work, um, his own stuff, mm-hmm. and um, those sculpts that he's doing for those are just absolutely amazing. Yeah, he's really good. Quick question, so what... What medium are you using now? Are you using still the linoleum cuts? Or are you doing? Oh uh, no, I haven't. Or? I haven't done. Lin, I haven't done linoleum in years. I do bigger canvas pieces with just paint brushes, and then whatever else I can paint on skateboard decks, wood, whatever I can find, I'll paint on it. Then I also do a lot of digital work. Um, usually, digital work is more for when I work with brands and things like that, or when I'm doing T-shirt designs and things like that. So quicker turnaround kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. If you don't mind me asking, what paint do you use? Are you using straight acrylic or are you using... Yeah, I use uh, I only use one paint. So for the most part, I only use black paint mm-hmm. on white canvas. So I can't make any mistakes. It's mm-hmm. pretty much just one shot. So any anytime I post a painting, it's 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 one go. There's no... I don't use any white paint at all to fix anything. So That's um, incredible. That's incredible. Yeah, just... It's a long, slow process because <laughs> you, if, if you're like seven hours deep, everything needs a second coat, sometimes a third coat. And you got to go so slow because if you make one mistake, it's gone. It's, <laughs> <Yeah>. it's over. <laughs> 
Because I don't want to go over it with white paint, you know, because you can yeah. see the white paint. And yeah, it'll, it'll change. That. Yeah, it'll change the. So, what kind of paint are you using? Are you using golden? Yeah, that's the only one I use. Golden carbon black, and then it's got a pretty heavy shine to it. Mm-hmm. But then you spray like a varnish over it to protect right. it, a matte varnish. And that actually makes the black turn into flat black, like perfectly flat. That's awesome. I notice sometimes when you paint, though, you you paint like a black background. Do you use white paint to paint over that or does that just the white space, the canvas still? Um, That's usually the white space of the canvas. But I have one painting where I used some white paint on, but... Not it's not really something I do. That that's yeah. one painting this whole entire year. That's the only one I've done like that. But yeah, usually what I'll do is I'll I'll if it's if it's black background, it's the white will be the canvas in the back. It's a pain in the ass, but it looks good. So <laughs> <laughs> Well that's that's where the linoleum cut comes in handy because you know which space is gonna be white compared to the black. Yeah, I think that's where I get the the precision from because with linoleums you also couldn't fuck up because when you cut it and you cut wrong, there's no way to really fill it up or i mean if there was i i didn't know how to do it so it was just kind of like gone you know you couldn't mess it up ever i mean it would be easier if i just use white paint but i'm too late now yeah you you definitely can't change it now because we're all used to seeing it like this well we've been talking for a while guys so if we want to go ahead and uh wrap this episode up so uh junkyard if you want to let people know where they can find you on the uh the old internet there all right if you can find me on uh instagram it's junkyard la and my website is I'mAlreadyDead.com. Chris? Uh, on Instagram, you can find me at ChrisRWK. Yeah, that's about it. Yeah. Corey? Uh, StrangeCatToys.com. And yeah, on Instagram, StrangeCatToys. And I am Travis Likens. You can find me at uh, UVDToys on Instagram or UVDToys.com on the old uh, website there. Check out the shop. Um, but this has been the Urban Robot Cat Podcast, the show about art and the people who make it.